Dowdy feeds it on left wing. And here comes Austin Wagner. He'll push it in deep, chase it down to the left circle. A pass is blocked. That's a play where Wagner's got to shoot it. Now Luff in the slot. Shoots and scores. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Holding on Ayafalo. Out to Muzzin for Kempe. Do Ayafalo one-timer? Scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Kings come back for a game at Staples before heading back out on the road for a pair of games before Christmas. We've got the recap of that four-game road trip for you here. Some positives, some negatives, some more injuries, you know, typical 2018-19 season type stuff. Uh, But before we get to all that, it's time for This Week in King's History with Mike Camito. It's time for another installment of This Week in King's History. Joining me, Mike Camito. How are you doing this week, Mike? Got the fireplace channel on, the Christmas tree is lit. I'm doing great. Yeah, happy holidays. Yeah, same to you. So uh, what are we talking about this week? So this week we're throwing it back to Noah Clark's first game with the Kings on December 16th, 2003. And that was a notable moment in King's history because Clark was the first California-born player uh, to make it to the Kings. And and what I think was really cool about that game and that moment in Kings history was, you know, Clark was drafted by the Kings in 1999. He was uh, taken in the ninth round. Uh, Yeah, no, I was definitely not really paying attention. So this was 99. We had no cell phones, no iPhone to kind of auto-update the draft list. And I was actually out in New York visiting a friend, and I had flown back. And we had I was visiting hockey friends, so they knew the draft was on. But it wasn't really on my radar. And uh, my dad picked me up at the airport, and he had uh, a printout from the, the, you know, from the internet, and it looked kind of fake because it stopped after my name. I saw L.A. Kings Noah Clark, and and I thought it was a bit of a joke. I thought he was kind of putting me on, and he goes, "No, this is real." So I got home and double checked it on the internet, and, and then I remember getting a call from from Dave Taylor. So yeah, no, it was it was a bit of a surprise. I talked to a few NHL scouts that season, but. But definitely was not on my radar. So he develops for a bit before he finally, you know, gets the call uh, up to the NHL. And it just happened. It just so happened that the night that the Kings were uh, taking on the Oilers, they were actually wearing uh, their vintage uh, gold and purple jerseys from the 80-81 season. And that's I think that was cool because Clark himself was a a self-professed hardcore Kings fan growing up in the 80s. His parents had season tickets up until Gretzky arrived in 88. And so. Um, you know, he'd grown up, you know, watching and, and idolizing the Kings and really getting into hockey. So, I mean, I think for him to play his first game, not only for the team and the you know the state that he grew up in, but also to wear the same type of uniform, you know, that they would have put on, uh, you know, 30 years or 20 years ago. I think that just kind of is the is the icing on the cake with this story. Yeah, we were we were huge Kings fans. We had season tickets going back to the farm. So my dad always had my dad was from Canada as well, but he had you know sticks in his office. And I remember going to the games and down at the forum and and we, yeah we were we were hardcore Kings fans growing up so it was it was a big thrill to be drafted and play for them. Yeah, I was looking at the notes you sent over before we recorded this and I'm looking at the names uh, that were on the team back then John Sim, Maxim Kuznetsov, I mean a real a real stroll down memory lane for a Kings fan. Um but yeah, I mean you mentioned him growing up and being his family being Kings fans and when Gretzky got here and for decades after there was the talk about him spawning a generation of players but of course, it takes a generation for those players to make it to the NHL. And and Noah Clark was one of the first. He and Gabe Gauthier, I think, some of the first 
players to have been born and grow up in California, you know, as Kings fans to wind up in the Kings organization. Um, certainly, you know, a moment of pride for, for, I think, them, obviously, and their families, and for California hockey fans in general, a bit of a validation. But they certainly weren't the last. I don't think I actually realized it. I guess it would have made sense. I would have done, you know, the thought process of if I was the first King to play for, or the first LA born to play for the Kings, and then I was the first guy to score a goal, it would have made sense. But I remember at the time, Gabe Gauthier was also was called up, and so I, I think I beat him to it. I think he might have scored scored after, or maybe he didn't score. But I remember, I remember kind of saying that's kind of cool to to be the first. It was uh, it was a big thrill. I was at home. I remember it was at the Staples and. You know, to get the love from the fans and the fam and everything, it was pretty cool. I think if you look across the league right now, uh, there's definitely some other examples of active uh, California NHLers. Matt Nieto is, is, I think, the one that would probably spring to mind for a lot of uh, Long Beach folks. Again, uh, <laughs> he played with the Sharks. Uh, he's currently with the Avalanche right now. Again, started, we first got into hockey with roller hockey. Uh, and then again, earlier this season, Emerson had a PTO with the Ontario ring, if we want to tie it back to the Kings organization again, he kind of picked it up with roller hockey as well before, you know, transitioning, uh, in, into the rinks. These kids had roller hockey with like the real skates with like the chassis. And it was like, you know, on the sport court where I had played on the, on the, you know, with a, with a ball on the blacktop, kind of creating your own moves, learning how to like beat a guy one-on-one. I think those are kind of, skills that go undervalued now that it's so structured and i mean even austin matthews though he grew up in arizona born in california you got to take you got to take credit for that when you can for sure yeah i know that the the arizona fans will uh the arizona listeners will will let you have it for that but certainly he was born in california so that one's fair game that's i mean that's where i (laughs) that's how i assign credit it's all where you were born (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't need to know where you grew up um, I'm curious, though, from from your standpoint as a Canadian, do you care uh, if players are born in California or born in Canada? Do you need, you know, are you like Don Cherry? You need a team full of good, good old, you know, Canadian boys, or, or are you happy to see talent come from wherever? No, absolutely not. I'm happy to see talent come from wherever. And again, you're talking to a guy right now who's obviously uh, a very dedicated Kings fan now, but also still uh, still very much a Maple Leafs fan at heart. I grew up watching the Leafs, and so. Austin Matthews plays for the Maple Leafs, and so I'm happy to have him on this on the team racking up goals. And so I think it's great to see the development of the game and the growth of the sport. You know, even from when I was uh, when I was first born, you see the evolution of the game. You know, since the mid '80s until now, right? So I think the more more talent we draw from other areas and to see the the game expand uh, is is great, and it's definitely not a bad thing at all. Getting back to uh, Noah Clark, you know, he grows up in Southern California, but he doesn't grow up in LA, and I think. One of the myths about hockey players is that they're all from these small towns and, you know, they, they bring this sort of small town um, mentality and work ethic with them. And Noah Clark grows up not exactly in a small town, but in certainly a more rural area of California than, say, downtown L.A. or Hollywood. Yeah, he was born and raised uh, in Laverne. And, and the interesting thing about that story as well, to kind of you know go back to his background, is that he was the grandson of the founder of the Altadena Dairy um, which, which is kind of interesting because again, after he hung up his skates and finished his hockey career, my understanding was, and you would explain this to me, you know, you know, before we started taping, uh, this segment was that him and his sister actually have opened up a cheese shop uh, in Claremont, California. So he's kind of followed in his family's footsteps a little bit, uh, and he kind of embraced his roots, uh, you know, with the, with the dairy. Yeah. It's cheese cave. Um, it's right on, right in, right in downtown Claremont. So come see us. And, uh, there's one in. Uh, in Grand Central Market, the new market that opened up, 
well, not new. It's been around forever, but it's it's kind of gone through a revitalization. And we're the cheese vendor called DTLA Cheese, Downtown LA Cheese, right in uh, in downtown LA. So it's it's fun working in food, and and uh, I remember starting. This is when I was still playing in Europe. I'd come back and I'd work the shop in the summer times, and just getting to getting to know more about food and that whole world has been been a lot of fun. Nothing says hockey like <laughs> like like gourmet cheese. Yeah, yeah. It's Although, a good post game snack. Yeah, and actually, to be fair, now you know if you go to the Pond or Staples Center or you know any other arena, I'm sure, and you sit on the Premier level, you can get all sorts of uh, of, of amuse bouche, as they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Mike, I want to thank you as always for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we may not talk to you next week because of the holidays, but we will talk to you the week after that. So if we don't speak to you again, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. Joining me now, James Whitlock. How are you doing today, James? Doing great, Jesse. How are you? I am torn. <laughs> torn? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Kings come back from a four-game road trip. Um, and I don't. I honestly don't know what to make of the road trip. I think there's two ways you could look at it if you wanted to. And I'm not entirely certain I know which way I want to look at it. Um, I'll go with the positive first. They play a great game against Detroit, but Howard makes, what, 42 saves or something like that. Yeah. They only get one goal, but it was a complete game effort, whatever you want to call it. They looked good. They didn't score in any other season. We said this last week. It's one of those games. Yeah. But they looked good. The second night, it's back-to-back nights. It's in Buffalo. They get a lead. They take a lead. Now they lose two players to injury, so they wind up with four defensemen. But Peterson looks good. The rest of the team looks good. It's back-to-back nights. They're without Dowdy. They're without Fnuff. So they wind up losing in overtime. But they get a point. So now you've got two games in a row. You know, and it's a bummer that you only get one point of it. Now, the Columbus game was not great. No. no. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even going to try and find a positive angle on the Columbus game. But then, in their defense, uh, third game in four nights – on the road, you know, Martinez is out, Fanuff's out, Clifford's out. You know, they're just at this point, the injuries, you don't say that the injuries are the reason that the season is going so poorly, but at this point on a game-to-game basis, you can't ignore the right. injuries because right. they just don't have, you know, the the proven NHL talent to replace them at some point. You know, you're going with a, with a lineup that's legitimately <laughs> half guys that maybe should be in the AHL. Yeah, yeah. So, so, okay, it's third night and four third game and four nights and you know they've got some guys out of the lineup and it wasn't a great game then the pittsburgh game again you know some breakdowns some bad goals some really bad goals but they fight back they tie it up and they get a point on the road so even though on the whole they only come away with two out of a possible eight points as i said there's a there is an interpretation of this road trip that says oh like there are some positives to focus on. Now, <clears throat> the negative <laughs> view of this is... Where do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, they got two points out of eight. Right? Yeah, that's like, 25%. That's, yeah, that's lower than the season average of their point percentage. I'm far out of school, but that's, I think that's an F. Yeah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, think, I think 59% is an F. 
25% is, you know. You didn't show up. You go to a different school on yeah. a much smaller bus at twenty <laughs> at twenty five percent. Not not to be you know offensive about it. Um, some of the goals were just awful. They're only scoring two goals a game, you know, on this road trip. Their season average at this point, I think, is two point one eight, which is slightly better than it was earlier this year, but it's bad. I mean, mm-hmm. two point one eight goals a game is yeah. still historically bad. Um, they're a one line team. You know, Kopitar, Brown, and I follow. And once you shut them down, once you get past that, yeah, you might get a goal from some of the kids here or there. But essentially, that's that's it. You know, there's players injured. There's dissension, you know, quick and dowdy, or, you know, clearly upset at, at the Pittsburgh loss. Um, the special teams are horrendous. And, you know, you look at it and you say, this is a team full of, of AHL players. We have no idea what the, you know, I'm not going to be doom and gloom about the future because there are some strong points for the kids. But as far as the rest of this season goes, there's just no reason to believe that it's going to look any better than two points out of a possible eight. So that's the negative side of it. And the silver lining being if they play well, but still wind up losing, then you get the benefit of them playing well. And getting a high draft pick, I suppose, um, which is one of the reasons I hate that rule. I hate the way the draft is constructed. I think it's kind of a travesty that fans are asked to pay money. Yeah, right. To root for losing. Yeah, which I don't know that. I mean, everybody on Twitter might be saying they want to lose, but nobody wants to pay no. ticket price for for watching a team that's just not competing. And going to the games is a bummer when when they just get their doors blown off. Yeah, and and and, and here's the thing about this week too about the road trip is that they started the road trip after a five one win against Vegas, and, and coming off that momentum, even listen to Dowdy after the game, like his, his energy was like, "We're gonna have a hell of a time on the plane, celebrate my birthday." Yeah, and uh, just feeling that energy, it's it's, and I don't know why I set myself up for it, but. <laughs> I was just kind of excited. I'm like, okay, I want to see what they can do with Detroit because I honestly felt like that was a game where, you know, that we we were kind of evenly matched in a sense for for a Detroit game, and I felt like that was that was a chance to take that step from the momentum and really build on that and drive into the road trip, um, and and set yourself up for Buffalo. You know, Buffalo's playing good hockey, so um, yeah, I kind of. I want to say I wanted to call a win, but one <laughs> that, the, that's a tough game to call a win. One of the things I really liked about the Buffalo game, though, was Peterson was drafted by Buffalo, and uh, Iafalo grew up, you know, basically twenty mm-hmm. minutes away from right. Buffalo. So you have not exactly two guys that you, you know, not it's not like Tanner Pearson scoring against the Kings in the Ugh. Pittsburgh game, but um, you know. They looked good. Th- those two guys looked good. Right. It was a strong effort. And so you go, okay, there's some whatever intangible backbone quality you want out of some of the younger guys. It seems to be there. Um, and look, they lost two defensemen. You know, they had – they're going with four defensemen, and they already were without Martinez. Right. Um, Muzzin plays 30 minutes. I mean, I'm not one for making excuses, but I don't think anybody can feel bad about the Buffalo game. Right. 
uh, from an effort standpoint. Yeah. You know, from a from a final. No, I mean they led most of the game, at yeah. least half the game. So, um, <laughs> once again, I, don't, I hate setting myself up for it, but you feel good about watching a team like that. It just seem like they click. Yeah, and then they walk into the Columbus game. Yeah. And, you know, the less said about that, the better. Um, you mentioned Dowdy and his comments about the Vegas game and the plane and everything. Dowdy had a particularly bad week. And I don't know whether this should be chalked up to getting injured or just, you know, too many just people not out of the in lineup it. or his birthday. Maybe he celebrated too hard. I- I'm not entirely sure. But he was on the ice for five goals against at even strength over the week and seven at all strengths. Mm. That's a lot of goals. Yeah. I mean, that's not all of them, but I mean, it's several of them directly attributed to him. Yeah, it's damn near close to yeah. all of them, um, because what Buffalo and Pittsburgh scored four each. Well, they- Detroit scored three and Columbus scored. So, all right, it's half of them, maybe. Yeah. Um, but he got picked several times. Yeah, and and, the and that's Pittsburgh, something you see Dowdy get picked in the shorthanded goal that that Collins scored against Pittsburgh. People have been pointing this out on Twitter. Dowdy skating off the ice, right back to back to the goal, back to the play. I don't I don't know what the explanation for that is, other than maybe he still is. You know, he's not injured, but he's hurt from the Buffalo game, mm-hmm. and he had to get a change. Right? I don't know because that whole power play unit they got scored on you know i was watching the replay of it again this morning <clears throat> pittsburgh breaks out of the zone as a three-man unit on the penalty kill mm-hmm. and it's not like oh there's open ice one guy's got a breakaway or oh there was a turnover of the blue line and two guys have position and now off they go pittsburgh breaks out of the defensive zone goes through the neutral zone into the attacking zone as a three-man unit on the penalty kill right which means they know that the Kings power play is not going to put up right. a defense and, and they score and, and, you know, Luff does his best, but Kempe's out there. He takes sort of a weak swipe um, to Foley. You know, I guess he does as best as he can. Dowdy's literally skating off the ice. I couldn't see who the fifth man on the ice was, but I mean, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, like I said, Dowdy was on the ice for seven, seven goals against now, Matt Luff, was on the ice for five goals against the even strength. Um, but he at least scored two goals. Right. Now, Buy some back. Yeah. Now, you know, one of those goals that Luff was on for was that that shorthanded goal. And I've, I've, I've made a deliberate point when I describe Matt Luff of saying the phrase I try to work in is he's not a perfect hockey player. I don't know what his defensive liabilities are. I haven't really paid a ton of attention to him in the defensive zone because – He's on pace for 30 goals, so I don't really, I don't yeah. really care. Right. Um, but I'm willing to cut him slack. He's a rookie. He's playing 13 minutes a night. You know, if if his defensive game isn't fully formed yet at the NHL level, I, I'm not I'm not too worried about it. But I did want to point it out. Just, yeah, yeah. Just. I can see him getting there. Yeah. He definitely looks like he's picking up the pace um, in the NHL level, and I I. Get excited to see him. Luff's one of those guys where I, I like to watch him play. Yeah, that goal he scored where Muzzin lobbed it to him. And he yeah. Knocked it, knocked it down to the blue line Woo. and walked in. Nobody was expecting him to get it. No. And when he got it, it was an old crap moment. I mentioned this before already. 
but I'll ask you now. Every time Luff scores, uh, Jim Fox makes a point of saying something along the lines of, they said he's not a goal scorer. And I just keep asking who. Yeah. Who said he's not a goal scorer? Because, you listen to the wrong people. Yeah, because if there's somebody in the Kings organization who legitimately didn't think that Matt Luff was a goal scorer, I mean, maybe he never scores another professional goal in his life, and I'm, you know, and this is just the best case of beginner's luck anybody's right. ever had. But he had or some, it's not hard to stand out in this team right now. Maybe, but he had six, I think, six goals in nine games for the Reign, and now seven in twenty games for the Kings. Like, yeah, that's a goal scorer. Yeah, you would yeah. think. I mean, it's a little dip uh in in production but yeah. to go from the ahl to the nhl yeah. as a rookie and still only have a little dip yeah it's impressive so I, i'd be real curious to know about that but like i said for intellectual honesty or whatever i did want to point out that he's kind of got a brutal defensive uh, he, he had a bad week minus four on the week um kobitar had a goal and two assists for, assist for three points muzzin had two goals and two assists and was a plus one and i follow one goal four assists Really good week for Ayafala. Um, and we talked to his dad earlier this week on the podcast who said that we haven't even seen the peak of Ayafala's game yet. Oh, yeah. That yeah. once he gets comfortable, that's <laughs> when the offense comes. I was like, comfortable. Like, all right, great. That's fantastic. No, I love it. And I, I think we're all on board. I think we all know that. I think we all expect that at this point. So, <clears throat> like I said, a rough week. But I really do feel like there are positives to pull out of it. We've mentioned Luff. I've gone on and on already this week on the podcast about Sean Walker. I thought it was good. Um, Walker, I follow, and Fantenberg, of all people, the only players with a positive goal differential at e at all strengths for the week. Um, and you add Muzzin in uh, and the top line at even strength. What do you think about Fantenberg's game? Because I'm, I'm going to be honest, I haven't noticed him. For, no. for good or for ill, like every now and then I'll look out there and I'll go like, oh, yeah, oh, Oscar Fantenberg's on the team. I forgot about. That. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't really focused in on him yet, which to me just says that it, it hasn't been. He might be creeping up there and it's one of those players where you just don't see it happen. And at the end of the year, you say, wow, that's uh, that's decent showing for him. But I, I haven't noticed him too much and I haven't been paying attention. I've been watching some of the other guys. I mean, I. The thing I'd always used to think about Scuderi was that I never noticed him. And I always took that as a good thing, right? Because mm -hmm. he's not a goal. He's not an offensive defenseman. He was a defensive defenseman. If you never noticed him, that means he's not making any mistakes because I don't think you really notice, you know, sort of pedestrian mm -hmm. defensive responsible play. There's not a ton of scoring per minute in, in right, hockey. Right. And so if the defenseman's doing his job. He, you know, you never notice him. If Fandenberg's going to turn into that player, then I'm all for it. Um, I do want to talk about the Molson Index. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how familiar you are with the Molson Index. And I don't know how familiar people listening are, because I know we get a lot of new listeners, and I know that the Molson Index was something that we spent a lot of time on in, like, 2013 and 14. Um, yeah, you bring it up. Yeah, I, from I, time, well, from time to time. I didn't, I didn't, I got tired of it. All the Kings fan, uh, all the Kings men fans know. Yeah, yeah. So the Molson Index, just a refresher for anybody who doesn't know, is uh, I began noticing in the early days of like the 2011, 2010 era that the Kings had, because they had made a habit of holding on to draft picks 
Whereas previously in their franchise history, they had made a habit of trading draft picks. That now you had a roster made up of players drafted or at least developed by the Kings that had never played for another team. So even if it's a guy like Jake Muzzin, who's drafted by Pittsburgh, he's only ever played in a Kings jersey. And so the byproduct of that is you have very few games where former teammates come back and score on you. Mm. Whereas in the 90s and 2000s, it was, and I'm sure it happens with every team. I don't think it's unique to the Kings. You right. know? I think every fan base likes to think that they're the only ones haunted by former teammates. But the reality right. is there's <laughs> trades, there's free agency. Absolutely. Every every team gets torched by a former teammate. But I just thought, oh, well, this is interesting. It doesn't feel like it happened as often as it used to. And part of that, like I said, was because they retained these players, especially the good ones. And so, yeah, if Colin Frazier leaves the Kings after 2012, the likelihood of Colin Frazier coming back and lighting you up is not that great. Um, <laughs> whereas if a guy like Lou Robitaille, you know, or Thomas Sandstrom or Yari Curry goes to another team, you know, or Palfi or somebody like that. Yeah. When they come back they're going to score on you. Oh yeah. Um so it's been a while since the Kings have lost a player who can actually legitimately be a scoring threat. And you know, say what you will about Tanner Pearson and whether or not he's a scoring threat. Used to be. Yeah. yeah. Um so anyway, when they traded Pearson, I thought, well, we haven't really talked about the Molson index that much, but now <laughs> now that I think we're going to start seeing right, I don't think Tanner Pearson was the last trade. Yeah. So we've sort of revived the Molson index and renamed it the Pearson index um, because Matt Molson, you know, plays in Ontario. He's not really in the NHL anymore. And I don't think there's much reason to expect that he will be. But Tanner Pearson could play another five to 10 years. And, you know, if he's in the Eastern Conference, the Kings will only see him twice a year. But we already saw in his first game against the Kings, he scores a goal, undresses Dowdy and then, you know, beats out quick. Yeah. And uh in sick fashion. Yeah, that one hurt, <laughs> James. That one hurt a lot. That drag was just beautiful. Yeah. Like where has that been? <laughs> uh, I was sort of, you know, flip-flopping on whether or not to even really start paying attention again to the to the to the index. Um but that goal was like, "No, that's this is going to be a thing now. We're going to have to start worrying." And I'm surprised that you would change the name as a, the historian that you are, the the lover well, of the game and and the traditions that follow. It's my thing, <laughs> so I can call it what I want. I, the, what what I was trying to decide was whether or not I should count Muzzin's assist. I think it was an assist against Pittsburgh, um, or maybe it was a goal. Uh, I gotta have to look at my notes. Uh, oh, I deleted it. Shoot. Well, anyway, Muzzin had a point against against Pittsburgh. So the question is, does that count? Because he's drafted by the Penguins, but he never played a game no. in a Penguins jersey. Nope. Shouldn't count. That's kind of how I feel about it. I certainly wouldn't count it if the Kings drafted a guy. And, uh, yeah, he had a goal and an assist against the Penguins. But, you know, if the Kings drafted a guy and he never plays a game in the, in the jersey, I don't care. Shouldn't He's count. He's not yep. a King, yeah. So what we Fans up, don't know him. Right, exactly. So what we wind up with is an assist from Jack Johnson and a goal from Tanner Pearson. So we're, uh, we're operating at a negative two. Yeah. Point, point differential on the Pearson index. It's not good. It's a bad start. But, I mean, it's been that kind of year. So so do you count it with the uh, alleged penalty on Pearson? As uh, he, like, rumbles Dowdy to the ice? Yeah, and I saw the tweet today that said a former NHL official said that it should have been a holding penalty. I don't know. I After I rewatched it, 
Yeah. You think it's a ventilator? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It probably is, but... I mean, it's not on the score sheet, so it really doesn't count, but... Yeah. To me, it's kind of like the, the Toffoli goal that called back, right? Where you go, okay, this is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> this is an imperfect thing. If, if it was a different season, I'd be complaining to the heavens about it. Yeah. But it feels right. You know, like when I heard that Toffoli scored, I was like, oh, because I was listening to it on the, the radio as I was headed out to Ontario. And uh, and I thought, OK, great. He finally gets it. And then two seconds later, they're like, oh, the call's under review. And I was like, nah, th- that's that's probably right. They uh-huh. should. <laughs> that, that feels <laughs> that feels more natural to have it taken away. So, yeah, the fact that Pearson got away with a penalty. I mean, he still beats Dowdy and he still beats quick. He beats quick. Yeah, nonetheless, uh, puck doesn't lie. No. So I don't know. I mean, what's your take on the four game road trip? Are you are you more inclined to take my positive view or my negative? Not at all. No, uh, I'm not negative. Yeah, I, I just you can have all the great effort you want, mm-hmm. but if it doesn't equate to anything, then there's still problems. Yeah, and, I mean that and, was sort of Jonathan Quick's take. Right? And we've talked about this before: is that that if you can't quantify what those problems are, those actually make them worse. Than yeah. if you just suck, right? You know, if you just suck and you can you can pinpoint what you need to fix, then you can start working on it. But if you have inconsistencies that just you can't put your finger on, um, where you know, but there's things like not not uh, you know being the minority in the faceoff circle, like those yeah. those are things that aren't going to help you because it's all about puck possession. So needing to get more faceoff wins in in these games. Uh, is is just the the minor effect of of what we're seeing, but you know some of those things we still got to look at that we have holes in in the team and and those holes need to be addressed. My fear is that this there's the impulse for me anyway. I can't speak for anybody else, but I have this impulse to go. Well, maybe the problem is they just got off to a really awful start, and at some point the snowball effect takes over. And so it just doesn't matter, right? You, you, you give up whatever two goals in 20 seconds or whatever it was in Columbus. And then that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the point of coming, you know, what's the point of trying to come back? You know, I talked about the grief doubt he got for not diving to stop an empty net. Right. You know, right. Like, you know, even, even the, even the people with the hardest of work ethics can recognize a lost battle at some point. And so, you're on a road trip, you know, you've lost to Detroit, you lost two defensemen, and then you lose to Buffalo. And then, you know, and you're in this Columbus game, and all of a sudden you score first, but they storm back. And he's just like, yeah, why would I expect them? Why? Just for pride? Like, that's that's silly. I mean, that's we. I think we would all like to believe that each of these athletes understands how each of us views each individual game as a separate event that's right. important to us at varying levels on any given day. Like if I go to the game live, I care a lot more about it than if I'm watching on TV, right? If they lose on the road, I'm a little less upset cuz I wasn't there. I didn't right. drive there, I didn't have to navigate, navigate traffic. I didn't, you know, as a fan, right. Yeah. And but for them, it's their job. It's night in, night out. They've played three games in four nights. You know, they've lost some friends to injuries. You know, things haven't gone right. You know what I mean? Like, and so I, so my, so to your point about identifying what's wrong, 
I think it becomes harder as the season goes on because you just where do you draw the line between yeah they've sort of succumbed to that natural human tendency of like this is dumb why am i why am i busting my hump for 60 minutes a night just so that the coach can then go talk to the media and say full 60 minute effort instead of well we just you know we need to put together a, a complete game right like mm-hmm. what's the benefit of a complete game when you're in 31st place um other than these weird sort of conversations that you and I might have about like, well, who's going to get traded? Who's going to be here? Who's going to get a new contract? And I'm sure they have their own individual relationships with those ideas, but, but it's still got to be really hard. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you take, you take any other profession and, and a salesman isn't going to close a hundred percent of his deals. Right. Uh, you know, they're going to close, 30, 40% of those deals. So is that a winning season in, in sports? No, it's not. But, you know, 40, 50% of sales is is a pretty awesome close ratio. And, and you're pretty proud of that. You're probably a top performer. You know, you got you got to take it in perspective and say, uh, you're, you're not going to win them all. You know, we know that. Right. And and momentum does play a factor in, in you know, team's performance. And it, it's hard to get out of a slump just mentally mentally and, and just compounding things that keep happening in the season. Um, although they take each one individually will take a minimal effect on the team, Yeah. but compounded it just, sometimes you just feel like you just keep getting beat down and you can't get up. Right. And, and if, if that's where they're at mentally, then I don't blame them. Like it's, it's a significant ma- uh, amount of man hours or, or games out when you take, all of the injuries compounded yeah. on this season. Mm-hmm. Um, look at that, and then look at some of the loss they've had um, and who they've had to play without. Now, things like Cal Peterson coming in and performance of Luff and I, uh, um, uh, I follow Amadio, those guys are, are making a difference, and those are, those are shining lights in this season, where if you take those separately, that's pretty cool to look at. It's not making an impact on the overall end result of the team's performance, right. but ultimately, I think there's there are some things you can pull out. I just don't on this road trip. I just don't see it. Um, if you ask me about the road trip as a whole, not too happy about it because they they should have. I, I feel like they should have came out with a win on Buffalo. Like you have the lead, you own the momentum, and you can't give away games like that. Yeah, and Peterson did well. Yeah, well, look, Peterson's great. Um, I, I do not envy the front office right now No, because, uh, to (laughs) to reference your salesman analogy, one of the things in my brief tenure as a salesman, Mm -hmm. um, many years ago, uh, one of the lessons I learned was it may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yeah. Not always but but things can things can happen that are not your fault yep. that are your responsibility and so the front office this season may not be their fault now it may also be their fault it remains to be seen. Right, right. i'm not saying it's not but i'm just saying like even if it's not their fault right like even if they made every move you know if there was some sort of mystical way to analyze each move and to know if it was the correct move or not even if they made every correct move it still didn't work, right? It's still a results-based business, and the results are bad. And so even if it's not, quote-unquote, their fault, 
it is 100% their responsibility. And they do have to figure out. And they have a limited time to do it because there's a trade freeze on the holidays. There's a trade freeze at the All-Star game. And before you know it, we're going to be up against the trade deadline. And, you know, they still have to figure out what to do with the coach. Now, maybe they're not even thinking about it. Maybe they're going to wait until the offseason when they have a much better idea of what the team looks like. They have a much better idea of what the, what the coaching pool looks like, you know, Quenville looked like was going to get hired by Philadelphia. Now it looks like he's not going to get hired by Philadelphia. You know, I've heard, I've heard every different version of, of what they're going to do with Willie Deschardin, uh, Marco Sturm or people outside of the organ, right? Like I've heard, yeah, this guy's got the job. I've heard that guy's got the job. I've heard nobody's got the job. So who knows? Um, and all of it is just made harder when you lose 150 man games or whatever it is at this point right to injury and and as i said you know that snowball effect takes over and you get guys like tyler Toffoli, who is clearly at this point just up in his own head because he's getting chances you know he scored a goal oh, yeah he scored a goal the other night and it got taken away yeah because <laughs> adrian kempe's foot was off the ice or whatever what the, can the, you do was. so i mean you know, the, the the fan in me that wants to hold on to everybody and wants to believe that the, the solution to this is right around the corner looks at this team and goes, okay, okay, look, Jake Muzzin had an unbelievable week. Sean Walker looks really good. Drew Doughty's going to rebound. Alec Martinez, he's injured, but he's been playing just fine. Fantenberg, you know, as I said, he's, you know, you don't notice him and he's carrying, you know, even in a bad week, he had all these positive things going for him. That's five defensemen right there. You know, I don't know what you do. You find another one in free agency, and then forward-wise, you go, okay, the top line's fine. Matt Luff, if Matt Luff's going to be good, you know, you've got him. And then Adrian Kempe had a couple of good games. And he's yeah. and all of a sudden, I've, like, talked myself into not making any changes <laughs> and thinking, like, oh, it'll just be fine next year. And, you know, but again, that's I'm just a dumb fan who just wants to like everybody on the team. That's a really dangerous um philosophy i think it is it is i i think you look at it more like hey what contracts can you move and what contracts can you not you're not moving dowdy's contract you're not moving there's several contracts you're just not going to move right. so whether that you like them or not i think i think you're more you're better based in in factoring your decisions on that in your heart than anything else because uh at this point you know everybody's been talked about um, if you, no matter who you talk to, someone's talking to someone different about yeah. who they think needs to be traded and to fix this problem. But it's not, we're not at a point where we're going to trade one or two guys and it's magically going to turn around the season and we get, you know, we're shooting for uh, uh, an eighth spot. Yeah. So, th like, that should just be out of your head. I, I don't know how it happened. I mean, it was halfway through this, the week and all of a sudden I was going, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think I've just gone right 360 around <laughs> yeah. the circle so far that I right. that I've come back around to optimism. <laughs> Didn't realize you were even there in the first place. I, I, was, I found myself thinking, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, like, it's hard. It's hard. You want it. You want to yeah. will it there, but um, it, it's just not happening. And speaking of willing it there, um, I really like the um, the positive spin that Will Ferrell and uh, Kevin uh, Kevin uh, had Kevin Ryder from K Rock had on the season. They're saying. January, it's going to turn around, and that's that's where they make the move. So, uh, <laughs> Will, I appreciate yeah. you standing up for the team, and yeah. 
using that energy. Mm, it'd be nice, but <laughs> if Will Ferrell says it, it's got to be true. I mean, I guess what it comes down to for me is, and uh, I'll try and keep this brief, and then we'll wrap up. I really, really do hate the fact that that we have a, a league where every year there's at least one fan base rooting for losses and rooting for their team to be dismantled, right? I just think that's crummy. Right? Yeah, it's not I fun. Agree. It's, it's terrible. You know, sports, yeah, it's a business. Yeah, it's entertainment. But it's clearly so much more than that. I mean, look at this. We're, we're in a room where you have a bunch of shirts with another, well, with multiple grown men's name on them, right? Like you are choosing not, and not, not designer labels, not, you know what I mean? Like, right. but you are choosing to wear the name of another man on your back, presumably because he represents to you some sort of, you know, uh, uh, some sort of, uh, example of leadership or heroism or nobility or toughness or whatever it is that you admire about that person. Right. You have gone out and purchased his, you know, standard to wear on your back, right? Like this is deep-rooted psychological, like you know, warfare type, right? Junk. You know, when you're watching Game of Thrones and it's like, you know, call the standard bears and they get a room full of, you know, it's like, well, we've, you know, backed the Starks for generations. Like that's what we're talking about. Right, yeah, we yeah. work for the laundry, but we identify the people in the laundry. So the fact that every year, if your team has a bum year for whatever reason, injuries chemistry bad luck whatever it is with 50 games left you're now right if you want to have any hope for your kingdom moving forward mm -hmm. you have to be willing to slaughter your 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 you know slaughter your livestock burn your crops and and hope that you suffer because that's the way you get better mm -hmm. and i hate that and i've always hated that right and i and you know, I, I get that the idea is that, oh, these bad teams will never get better if you don't find a way to reward them. But the problem is we've seen it with, you know, Edmonton and and I would have said Buffalo, but they finally figured out a way to turn it around. But, you know, you, Edmonton is just the perfect example, right? Yeah. Twelve years right. of good draft picks. And now they've even got the greatest player of a generation. And it took them bringing Kent Hitchcock out of retirement to make sense of it. And I was reading this whole thing online about don't believe the hype. Their numbers are still lousy. They just happen to have won a couple games under Kent Hitchcock. Uh -huh. So, I mean, I don't want I don't want these players traded. I don't want the Kings to lose. I want to go to every game at Staples Center this year left on the schedule and see them win. And the fact that if they do that, and they still wind up missing the playoffs. There's going to be a huge portion of the fan base that goes, you blew it. Oh, yeah, what we are you doing? Had, yeah, like that to me. Is Which just... might actually put them on the right track to start a good season next year. That's so, what I'm saying. <laughs> I, yeah, I could care less about what let's let's worry about the postseason in the postseason. Let's figure out right. a plan then. But you can't play a season for the postseason because you don't win anything in the postseason. Getting the first draft pick doesn't mean you have a right. great team. Exactly. Edmonton. Exactly. No, but you're exactly right. And so, you know, I, I'm not saying that I don't think trades need to happen, and I'm not saying that I don't think changes need to happen, and I'm not saying that a new, more clearly identified strategy needs to be implemented. 
but I would like all of that to coincide with winning a couple more games. Absolutely. <laughs> um, anyway, let's go ahead and focus on the positive before we wrap this up, James. I do want to do King of the Week. We've got four games, uh, plus anybody in the minors or juniors or broadcast team or, you know, whatever. Whatever you want. Uh, I'll go ahead and let you start off. Who's your King of the Week this week? This week, I want to focus on, although we have a small fraction of sample size, uh-huh. Cal Peterson. Okay. Um, to be able to stand out on a team, second to quick, and still be a dynamic force in your rookie season, um, it, it goes to stand towards the uh, the superior coaching for goalies in the organization, um, what they've put into him so far. And uh, and just who he is as a person, like I just I like the kid as a person, but watching him play is exciting. And I didn't find a lot of things exciting this week, but I still find him exciting to watch. So I'm uh, I'm putting my chips on Cal Peterson. I still can't get over the fact that he plays uh, opposite handed than most goalies. In the yeah. so <laughs> Every now and then I'm still watching him. He just, he looks backwards. I can't. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say Alex Iafalo. You know, I have talked this kid up. I'm sure everybody's tired of hearing about it, but I I absolutely love the kid's game. Not me. Keep it going. And one of my fears at the uh, maybe the 15, 20 game mark, one of my fears was that there were games where I'd see him all of a sudden playing very un Iafalo like Mm -hmm. you know, taking a shift off, not going into the corner, doing these little things, and I'd go like – is this season leaking into him? Is he falling prey to whatever it is that's dragging this team down? And now nah, with a goal and four assists in four games this week, you know, out there every shift, battling his butt off, you know, he creates that Brown goal, basically. Um, never get rid of Alex Iafalos. No, and I'm glad <laughs> you said that because this shows you how crappy social media is. You can still find people oh, yeah. that pick on him for like one thing that he does out of the entire week. And it's, it's like, you know what? That's just what social media is. But this is one person that's, I'm glad you said it. Cause it's one player that it's really hard to get down on because no matter what's happening, he's still giving 100% and you notice it. Right. So congratulations to Cal Peterson and Alex. I follow this week's King of the week, even though it's two of them, whatever. Uh, all right, James, I think that is going to wrap it up for today. Any closing thoughts before we head into uh, one game at home and one game on the road, I think, before the holidays? Yeah, we have uh, – no, we got to three. So we, we get a little more space. There's one game tomorrow and – Then they don't play until the weekend. The weekend, yeah. So, But two, uh, you have San Jose and the Golden Knights. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's right, two days before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Merry hey, Christmas. Maybe everybody. Christmas comes early, and that's what I'm going to go with. Maybe. Um, so I am going to be out of town for Christmas week. So we will not have a weekly podcast with James next week. Uh, I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm not sure when the next one episode's going to be. Yeah. We're going to have a post game tomorrow night. And then after that, uh, I don't know. Cause they're on the road in San Jose. I get on a plane, the, the Vegas game mm-hmm. and I don't come home until after the Arizona game. So there'll be no post game for the Arizona game. There'll be no post game for San Jose or Vegas, and there'll be no weekly post. So we we may go on a brief hiatus. Yeah, but enjoy the holidays. Yeah, but Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, you know what? Here's what you can do if you're if you're jonesing for a little bit of all the King's men. 
Go ahead and check out the iHeartRadio app because we've got a bunch of old episodes uh, playing on there. There's some classic games from the 67, 68, 69 uh, seasons. There will, there's replays of all the games. There's Ontario Rain games. I know people have complained that the app doesn't always work. Uh, I apologize about that. It Stick is, with it. It's it is technology. Out of, my, <laughs> out of my power to do anything about. But new stuff going up there all the time. And uh, one of these days we will find a way to give you a schedule and let you know what's coming. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. And for James Whitlock, my name is Jesse Cohen. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you sometime. 